Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, with the latest ideas to improve the health of our planet and its people. I'm Maggie Fox. All of us here on planet Earth are facing problems such as pollution, climate change, and infectious diseases, both old and new. All of these problems are connected. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust, with bite-sized insights into ways to help. During the first months of the COVID pandemic, the Shawi people living in Peru's Amazon closed their borders and retreated to the forest. So did some people in Tamil Nadu in India. It worked. They survived better and were able to turn to traditional foods to help them make it through the isolation. In this episode, we're chatting with Dr. Carol Zavaleta of Cayetano Heredia University in Lima, Peru. She studies how indigenous communities around the world cope with challenges, especially to their health. Carol, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Maggie. No, it's really a pleasure and an honor to have this space to talk with you. Thank you for the invitation. Well, you're studying how indigenous people around the world use some of their traditions to survive disasters from drought to the COVID pandemic. And you're speaking to us from Peru for this podcast episode. So why don't we start there? When COVID started spreading, how did some of the people who live in the Amazon protect themselves? So when we had this pandemic, they organized themselves. So they have this government, um, customary government system where they have authorities at communities and they have these meetings, this assembly, community assemblies, where they decide that they are going to close their lands. So maybe you can wondering how you can close the Amazon because the Amazon is super spread and super open, right? So, but they have a particular roads, a particular trails or paths that they know, and they put signals and also wrote and letters and says, uh, so it's forbidden to go in this community. And they also put some like a plants that have a very a bad smell. So they put it on the entrance. So something that they prefer the community to be like, a, nobody can be here. And, uh, and they stay in the community, but they go to the forest. So they don't stay in the central community. So they went to the forest and they separate themselves. So they isolate between communities, even if they we didn't teach them, right? So as a public health people, we say we need to uh, do all this uh, social distance and all these things, right? So they did it by just naturally learning that they knew from past pandemics. So they have a knowledge system that they have learned over multiple pandemics and they translate or transmit the information orally to these new generations. Okay, this is an important point that you just made. They had this knowledge from previous pandemics because one of the things we know about the European conquest of the Americas is they brought a lot of diseases with them and most of the populations were wiped out by these diseases. Are these tell us about how these pockets of indigenous peoples learned to survive these pandemics. Yes, Maggie, this is very important, right, to connect our story in Peru and Latin America with colonization. And I think this is important because we knew and there's literature how many indigenous societies have collapsed, but the, those who didn't collapse, they have learned. And a specific examples, for example, for, uh, for the people that we have been working over these two, three years, they remember cholera, for example. So they remember when they were child, so how cholera killed some of them. They also remember uh, smallpox. So they remember how they were affected and what they used was to go to the forest, to separate themselves, to social isolate it. So this knowledge stay in their minds. They also, for example, these days they are facing malaria, they are facing dengue, all these special diseases that we have. 
Unfortunately, there's no solutions for that. But for the pandemic, for those who were like a global threat, they have this knowledge. Did it work? Did um, hiding out, so to speak, during the first months of the COVID pandemic protect people? Yes, yes, definitely. And I knew, for example, that at least two, four months, they were isolated and they went to the forest. But what happened is that when you, went, when you go to the forest, you can collect the natural food, but they also start to grow their own food. So they plant cassava, they plant plantains, fruits. Uh, mostly they have different varieties of potatoes. So people usually think of potatoes and see andens or see, right? So the, the highlands. But also in the Amazon, there are tubers, multiple tubers, and they plant all these, but they take time, right? Four months, six months to grow. So, and also at the same time, they were thinking about their domestic animals because they grow the small animals like a free ranch uh, chickens and things. So they return to the community at some point and at the community, they finally, some of them got the infection. So they got the symptoms. So it didn't last forever. So the forest allowed the protection for some months. And ideally for the future, for example, we can get those months to do something, right? So we can at least give us a, a window of opportunity to prepare our systems, our health systems to support all these, uh, our, our brothers and sisters, indigenous in these communities. And this turning to kind of more traditional foods that can be raised in the forest, is this something that will give them resilience against other disasters going forward? Yes, I think it is. Our global agro food systems rely on some very few crops, right? But they have all these varieties and they can substitute, they can use it seasonal, so they don't use it at the same time. So they can access different types of food over the year. The only thing is that we need to follow also indigenous values. So this system is not just production. This system also is connected with values. So how they see the land, how they see the food. And I have learned this like a said from the Shawi that they say, when you harvest a cassava, you plant another cassava. So you don't easily just get one and just forget about that. They are constantly thinking about this concept that we call sustainability. So what they what actually think is that, for example, if you go to the forest and catch an animal, right, or, or something in the forest or in the fish, they don't simply throw it out the food. So they, when they have over, over, when they have more food that they can consume, they share it. If we can measure, for example, food waste, we can find solutions on all these systems of indigenous values about the relationship with food. And what about traditional medicines as well? You've you've done a lot of research on that. Now, to the Western eye, this can sound a little woo-woo. You know, there's a, there's a plant that has medicinal qualities. But you're a physician as well as a scientist. Tell us what you've learned about these traditional medicines. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, because this is a very important question for me. When I went the first time to the Amazon, I went as a physician. So I went to start my clinical practice and my first patients were people with uh, living with HIV and they were indigenous people. And then I tried to observe them and I, they didn't want to actually uh, visit my health, my health facility where I was a physician. They, because, and I was wondering why, because I felt I was a good physician, I care. So I was wondering why they didn't came to, lead, to look for me for my services. So I went to talk with them and actually I discovered that they have a different completely medical system. So they didn't need me at that point. So they say, why? 
right? So uh, at some point, uh, I understood that I need to provide something different for them if I want to really serve them in a good way. So at that point is when I turn and change in some way my discipline and turn to do like a more social environmental scientist. And um, in this COVID, for example, we observe that they use herbs, different herbs, not only in Peru, in Peru, the Shawi, the Ashaninka, the Shipibo in my country, but also the Abaguas in Uganda and also in India. So they are using herbs. They are using their traditional knowledge. And what happened is that, yeah, we want to use clinical trials, we want to use uh, these uh, scientist methods to prove the value of this indigenous knowledge. But we, I don't think that we are at that point where we can really prove with scientific methods what is happening there. Because in Bolivia, for example, where I live, they have, uh, the Minister of Health have created a book, an official book where they have more than 50 different plants and herbs cataloged for different symptoms for COVID. So they base on symptoms in some way, how they solve the health situations. And, um, and I think that we should be more humble to understand how the knowledge the indigenous science works before we want to say we want to validate. Obviously, Western science has a different approach, and I recognize that, right? Because in the COVID, we saw these cases where it get very worse. This patient, uh, she got, for example, kidney failure, and, and that was important because she didn't want to continue use the, the indigenous medicine. We want to convince her that she needs more help. So at the end, she went to the hospital and she we went with her because the other thing is that the health facility doesn't speak the indigenous language, the people, right, the health workers, and also the cultural awareness is not necessarily in the health facility. So we work and navigate all these situations. And finally, this my patient, she got a kidney transplant. And I think it's a huge achievement from the medicine, from the science, and I recognize that. I think both medical systems have a place for this emergency. So it's not one or the other, it's how both can work together. Right, Maggie. That's the good thing that we are living in this world, so we have these opportunities. You've said that many Indigenous people have approaches to life and the land that align with One Health principles. Can you talk about some of these? Yes, Maggie. I think, and also my work before wasn't really One Health, but now I am learning with them, and they are teaching me that nature is not separate from human health. When I went to the med school and many people who went, who go to the med school, uh, nobody talk about nature when you are studying medicine. When you're studying, because you're, you will fix people, you will cure, you will be a healer, but not necessarily with nature. Most of the things that we are using are technologies, right? We use drugs, we use equipment, we use very protocols for the diagnostics, all these things. But what happened with indigenous people is that the, when we, for example, when we see that they are using rituals or they are using these colorful musics and things, we, we think that maybe this is only art or maybe this is just for tourism or folklore, but actually no. But we need to see that those rituals actually are the connections between them and nature. So this is how they are communicate with nature and how they are providing and giving the respect to nature. And in August, for example, in Bolivia is the month of the Pachamama, where indigenous communities and actually the country, the country give a thanks to the Pachamama, to the Mother Earth, and in June is the month where the Taita Inti, which is the, uh, the god son, where they provide the respect. So all these connections implies that animals, plants, minerals, air, water, everything that you have in nature will give you uh, health. 
So, and I think that's very important because you acknowledge the health of humans while you are also acknowledge the health of your surroundings and natural resources around you. So how can people in developed countries learn from these people who have stayed closer to their indigenous practices? I think the first thing is to recognize and do not assume that there's only one way of life and there's on, not only one way of best life and not anyone need to aspire to only one way of life or one way of medicine. I think it's important to remember that each society has created great technology. My society, indigenous people, countries in South America, in other regions have also created uh, technology and science. But we think our technology is well, is less recognized, is less investigated, is less disseminated. And I think countries in developing not developed countries, they uh, need to remember that colonization also changed our lives and um, also implies that there are many information that has been lost or stolen. And I think at this moment, we have that indigenous people, for example, habitate 20% of our planet, but we have 80% of biodiversity in their lands. So something is happening in those territories that we don't know. I think it's important to keep our minds reflective, open, and try to uh, build together this new era that climate change is open our eyes to work in an intersectoral way, but also in an interconnected way with knowledges. Our world is not the same after the pandemic, especially because we have learned how fragile our health system is. And I think we need to be prepared for future pandemics and use the learning, right? The learning that we have collected. And also we need to use all our resources, all the resources that we have to create a better health system and a better world for everyone, not only for humans, but also for plants and for these historically neglected populations and knowledges. Carol, thank you so much for joining us. Maggie, this is great conversation. Thank you for making me think on these things. They're very important. Thank you. If you like this podcast, which is brought to you by the One Health Trust, please share it by email or on social media. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at OWOH at OneHealthTrust.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshminarayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust, one word, for updates on One World, One Health and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.